Welcome to the Her Define podcast, here to help you define your own means of success. Do you have ambitious career goals but are feeling lost, confused, or even frustrated with where you're currently at? Maybe you have a passion to start your own business but don't know how to achieve it. Hi, I'm Juliana and I've been right where you are at several points in my life. During these times, I've turned to inspiring and ambitious women for guidance to point me in the right direction and lead me to a solution. Each week, here on Her to Find, a successful entrepreneurial or businesswoman will share her real-life experiences and insights while defining the ways in which she achieved success. Thanks so much for listening. Let's get into it. Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening to the Her to Find podcast. This is the fourth episode, and I am still in shock that this idea is fleshed out and unfolded, but we're going to keep going. We're going to keep trucking on. I have a lot of great guests that are coming up, and I'm so excited to share them with you. So I have always been a lover of beauty. I've worked for Sephora for about two years and am constantly spending my time watching YouTube makeup tutorials or now TikToks, I suppose, since they're easier to consume. If you are the same, this next guest is going to be super interesting for you. And even if you're not into beauty, Linda's advice and tips on sustainability in addition to adapting to the new environment she was in are extremely beneficial. Linda Sacondi started out within the fashion industry working in marketing for brands like Burberry. After 10 years of working, she felt like her passion for the industry was diminishing and that she had to explore the beauty sphere. Her interest for lashes peaked when she was seeking a lash extension alternative for her wedding day. She couldn't find a brand that's philosophy aligned with its marketing. That is how Live Lashes came to be. With zero familiarity on starting a business, Linda set out to create a collection of lashes that would integrate seamlessly within everyday routines, but that were also completely vegan, cruelty-free, and sustainable. It's in its first two years, and Lithe Lashes has already received praise from news outlets like Vogue.com, The Daily Mail, and Oprah Magazine. In addition, the brands achieved the highest form of beauty praise from Allure's Best of Beauty in 2019. In this episode, Linda and I discuss why it's crucial to take your time when creating a quality and sustainable beauty product, ways she gains creative inspiration without opting to Pinterest or Instagram, and finally, what she did to gain experience in an industry that was completely new to her. Can you summarize your background, what you were doing before you created Life Lashes, and how you got to where you are today? So when I first started, A lot of the programs that I took when I was younger were very art-driven or marketing-related. And when I got to the age of 16 or 17, I I struggled between fashion and beauty. And ultimately, um, I think I was a little bit influenced by my family. So I decided to go the fashion route. I took a program in design and I did merchandising and marketing. And while I really loved it, I ended up doing that for a good 10 years or so. Sort of started to fall out of love with it. Um, I felt like something was missing and my interest was really, really pivoting towards beauty. I felt intimidated to switch my career and just, you know, go from working for someone else to just suddenly, you know, starting my own business. I didn't have any experience in business. I didn't go to school for business. I also never went, I never studied makeup at all or cosmetics. So it was incredibly intimidating. But, uh, you know, in in 2018, uh, actually, sorry, 2017, I got married with Mm -hmm. my husband, Matt, and um, 
that's when the first idea of starting live came into my mind. I was looking for a lash extension alternative on the market, something that I could wear for daily use. I absolutely love lash extensions. The only yeah. thing is uh, I'm so bad at, at taking care of my lashes and right. um, also found it extremely costly. Um, so when I started looking at the options that were on the market, um, I found a lot of options that stated that they were very natural looking, you know, and, um, in my personal opinion, I think I really had a hard time finding something that really matched aligned with its marketing, not just from an aesthetic standpoint, but also from philosophy standpoint. There were a lot of products that said they were vegan and cruelty-free. I was really shocked to find out, like, if you actually read the fine print on a lot of products, um, how much was actually mink. It was marketed as cruelty-free. Um, mm -hmm. And in my opinion, I just felt like if you're selling any type of byproduct, um, animal byproduct, I don't think it should ever really truly be marketed as cruelty-free especially not in a time like now where there's mm -hmm. just so much technology that, you yeah. know, using synthetic fibers can look even more natural. And so, you know, I started looking at all the different options in the market. Um, I started looking at synthetic fibers overseas in Korea. And then we started looking for manufacturers um, that could help us hand make our designs. So that's how we got started. And um, if you've seen our packaging, we're also sustainable as well. The tray inserts are all biodegradable and mm -hmm. all of the paper packaging is uh, FSC certified and it's 100% wow. recyclable. So we've refrained from using like uh, laminate stock or certain inks or certain dyeing process just to ensure that our packaging is 100% recyclable. And I also loved, I saw on your Instagram recently that you can stack the trays, right? For like travel. Yeah. Yeah. My dad's an engineer. He's, he's awesome. And, and I, you know, I was looking at a lot, a lot, a lot of the options that were on the market and I wanted something that was not only convenient for makeup artists to travel, um, you know, with, but also it would have to serve a purpose. Like it would have to be able to house the curl of the lashes. Right. And yeah. And I found that a lot of the times I would buy strip lashes on the market and they would fall flat. And so, yeah, he set out to help me design a tray like this. And it's, you know, it's funny because I never thought that um, it would actually make our packaging and our brand um, all that more unique. No, it definitely does. And I also like how it's it's now becoming a family business, like your dad's getting involved. Yeah, they're, I'm, we're really fortunate. You know, my my husband's family too has also been very involved. We've just been really blessed. What did it feel like when live lashes started gaining recognition and you realized you had, in quotations, made it? It was really, it's hard to put into words. It was really uh, unexpected. You know, I believed in my product all along. I just didn't expect the press attention, like the attention from the media so soon. I remember within like the first I think three to six months of launching our business, uh, we were told that we won an award with Allure for Best of Beauty. And that's a great award. If you want to win an award, the Allure one, that's the big one. Yeah. I remember being a kid and just, you know, when I was uh, 10 and just flipping through like magazines, like Elle magazines and seeing the Allure seal, very surreal. It made me feel like it's really possible if you if you have an idea out there and you feel like 
there's a demographic that would need it just as much as you. Um, anything's possible. There's a lot of work that goes into starting a business and starting a brand. But at the same time, you don't need to have copious amounts of money, especially now in this day and age when you can leverage social media. That was probably one of the most uh, high moments since we've been in business. From conception to production, what's the process of creating sustainable, vegan, and cruelty-free lashes? So it definitely started with, you know, us sitting down and saying, what are the absolute philosophies and principles that we're going to stand by? Mm -hmm. So we drafted, you know, at the top of the tree, we came out with, you know, vegan, cruelty-free, sustainable. And then under each category, we looked at how we can achieve all of these things. Being vegan and cruelty-free means that we're not going to use any animal byproducts. We're not going to use any animal hair, whether it be mink or horse hair. Mm -hmm. um, we're probably going to use synthetic fibers that, mm -hmm. um, you know, are ethically produced and okay. also not harmful for the environment. And it's the same thing when you look at under sustainability, we had to consider the packaging, we had to consider the tray, even down to like our mailer boxes too. Like, um, I'm sure you've probably ordered something online where it's teeny tiny and it comes in a giant box with lots of bubble wrap. It's crazy. Or like when you walk into a Sephora and you're just buying one product, but you walk out with like 10, 10 paper samples, you know, it's just a lot. So, you know, all of these things, they do they do take up more time. Like it would be a lot easier for me to just say, okay, I'll just make a really pretty packaging and just go with the flow. But there's a lot more research that's involved when you want to come out with something that's conscious and something that's sustainable and vegan and cruelty-free. But at the end, it's worth it. You know, your packaging and, and what you put out is, whether it's your mailer boxes or whether it's your actual product boxes, it accounts as your product. You know, if it's, if it's harming our environment, like it, it really shouldn't be allowed. Especially now. I remember a few years ago, I was like a little bit more careless about my footprint or just general waste that I was creating. And now I'm much more conscious about it. I'm trying to be more minimalistic in my approach, especially with skincare and beauty. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's like we it's like the little, little, small steps, the little, small changes that you make. If everyone just made a small little change or alteration, it accounts for a lot. I think if we are presented the option to mm -hmm. choose something that's more sustainable, why not? Right. Where do you find your inspiration? I get my inspiration from a lot of different places. Um, I meditate a lot, usually yeah. once a day. I read a lot of spiritual books and I usually like to find a calm and quiet place to mm -hmm. just clear my mind when I want to design something or think of something entirely just from scratch. Like I'm not really a Pinterest gal. I don't really spend that much time on <laughs> Pinterest. I'm not really on social media. That's fair. That's also refreshing. I've, I feel like a lot of people are on Pinterest or they're on Instagram and it can kind of be overwhelming because first off I feel like social media and including Pinterest a lot of it's now curated and with the algorithms and everything you don't get an unbiased view of everything it's very calculated so it's nice to hear that you you find inspiration in other places 
do you listen to podcasts? Do you listen to music or do you watch movies or, or read? What would be your other form? My husband, who's my business partner as well, he's quite, uh, he's a movie buff. For me growing up, my, my family's Chinese Vietnamese. So when we grew up, I watched a lot of Asian movies. And so now um, just sitting and watching, you know, classic uh, American movies and stuff. I, I lived basically under a rock when it comes to movies. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, I'll, I watch it. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Like mm-hmm. there's so much at my disposal. So yeah, in some ways I, I watch a lot of movies in my evenings, like downtime. And maybe subliminally, I get a lot of my inspiration from that. Too. Right. We watch uh, a ton of documentaries. Uh, my husband and I have quite different, we have different tastes when it comes to mm-hmm. podcasts. I like to listen to, there's a podcast by an influencer named Nitsan Raider. She has um, a podcast called That's So Sabotage. So mm-hmm. I was listening to that to the other day. My husband loves the Joe Rogan podcast. Right. So sometimes I'll listen in on that as well. I used to love collecting magazines, like hard copy magazines. But, you know, nowadays when everything's digital, I don't. Mm -hmm. So I don't really, I don't really spend too much time reading magazines anymore. There's something nice about having like a fresh, like copy in your hand. 100%. Being a fresh business, you're constantly evolving and learning. Is there anything you would have done differently looking back on the past two years? Uh, Yeah, there's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely have to say, and I tell everyone this, that when you're planning to start your business, expect that there's going to be a lot of things that don't turn out exactly the way that you plan for them to. Right. Just because there's so many moving parts involved. A lot of the things that I would have done differently are things that I know now from making mistakes. I don't know if I could actually go back in time if I had not made those mistakes to actually not do that. I think the main thing to, to, that I always tell people if they're planning to start their own business is to, you know, one, expect that you're going to make mistakes and, and yeah. be more forgiving, more patient and understanding. It's uh, very difficult to run a business just by yourself without mm-hmm. the input and the help of others and your team members. I think it's really important to have an open mind. Mm-hmm. And um, to sometimes just kind of give yourself a little bit of slack and yeah. the people around you as well to see where your brand can pivot and where mm-hmm. your where your business can kind of pivot, which direction it'll go based off of other people's um, advice sometimes. Going off of how, what you said about keeping an open mind, what's the best way that you find you ensure that you do that? I journal a lot. So uh, whether it be for work or personal, mm-hmm. um, I think when you start a business, you you almost kind of lose a little bit of sleep because you're right. concentrated, <laughs> you're like divided into like 10 different areas. So I noticed very early on when I started live that I would always wake up at like 3 or 4 a.m. Oh and my brain would be on fire. Like I would just have all kinds of ideas. So what I did was I created uh, a notes folder on my phone for just business stuff Mm -hmm. and then a note folder for just personal. And I would literally just use it to regurgitate like all of my thoughts. When you go back to it later in the day, sometimes you'll see like, you know, correlation between like, like you'll see like your ideas kind of connect in some way. Right. You have another 
idea like later in the afternoon, another idea in the past. And how that helps with mistakes and stuff is that you kind of have, well, at least for me, like I kind of have a log that I can look back on. So if I'm working on a project or I'm doing something that's similar to something that I've done before, I go back in my notes and I kind of read over and I say, oh, okay. So, you know, last year when I was designing this, I kind of went through this problem with press or this problem with printing and whatever. So this is where I kind of have to watch out. Yeah. So it kind of goes back to what I was saying to you at the very beginning when I was comp- when I was complimenting you about your organizational skills. It's all about developing skills so that you, you know, you can work smarter and not mm-hmm. harder. What has Life Lashes done really well since launching? Well, I definitely say that I was really surprised again to like receive the attention that we got mm-hmm. so early on. And not not only just from media, but also from professional makeup artists I thought that was really cool you know like I I didn't expect like in the first month that I would send a pair of lashes to a makeup artist and next thing you know I would see a cast member on Orange is the New Black wearing my lashes I remember I was watching an episode on Netflix and I was oh my god that's the woman that's wearing my lashes that's so cool (laughs) yeah just being able to meet pros in the industry and or even people who are just genuinely so passionate about makeup and and so passionate about this this industry it's um it's been amazing like just being able to network with like different people when i started 2 years ago versus where i am today and how i perceived you know this industry it's just so different you touched on this previously talking about taking the time to put out a quality product and a sustainable product, but can you elaborate on your tips or techniques to listeners who are also trying to create a sustainable brand? Planning everything out in stages, small stages, mm-hmm. is how you would best cover everything in detail. When it comes to if you want to be vegan, cruelty-free and sustainable, those are a lot of grounds to cover. It can be really daunting if you just kind of try to tackle it all at once. You know, so for us, we did everything in stages. Mm -hmm. Um, We started with the lashes first, obviously. And then once we had the lashes done, it took about six to nine months. We then looked at sourcing material for packaging. With packaging, a lot of people underestimate how much work actually goes into trying to find sustainable packaging to do in a sustainable way so be patient you know it's going to take uh several runs it's probably going to take a few months for you to find the right people to work with the right printers to work with and at the beginning like for me i i never worked uh in printing in production or anything so i a lot of the new the terminology and very beginning was very overwhelming so if you just kind of write like a couple things down that you want to tackle day by day and just yeah. kind of do things in stages uh, rather than looking at things, you know, 20,000 feet up, it'd be a lot more manageable for you. What does a typical workday look like for you? It's pretty unpredictable, to be <laughs> honest. We're fairly new. We're like, we're two years. So, uh, and we're still working on getting out new product. And so, you know, one day I could, I could be sitting at my computer for about 10 hours, just working on website stuff. PR stuff, influencer mm-hmm. outreach, um, social content mm-hmm. and copywriting and product design. But then, you know, 
another day I could be driving around dropping off local deliveries or going to meet Fun. with our printer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I definitely prefer this over my nine to five job to be able to get up and have an ice cream when I feel like it, just go back to the computer and work. I, I kind of use what my dad calls like the 70, 30 philosophy, you know, 70, 70% being positive, And then mm-hmm. you're going to have 30% that's not, you know, not so great sometimes. What's the most difficult aspect of running a startup? I think at the very beginning, when you haven't built your networks yet, it might seem really daunting, depending on what, what you're designing or what your prod, what your business is going to be about. Um, you might not know where to look. I think that was a really hard time for me at the very beginning. Um, just not knowing who the right people were that I needed to reach out to. But be patient. You know, we're very lucky in this day and age to have social. It's just amazing to be able to see in, you know, at the swipe of your fingers, just to find a network of people that, that might actually be able to help you with your needs. And don't be afraid to start the conversation with someone because even if you don't end up working with them, it might lead you to someone else. Like maybe the partnership with someone isn't perfect, but mm-hmm. it ends up opening a door for me with someone else and I end up having a really meaningful relationship with, you know, mm-hmm. both parties. What's something no one prepared you for running a startup? I'll say this. I think being an entrepreneur, there's just when you're setting out to create something that that hasn't that that, that doesn't exist yet, you you'll never truly fully be prepared. Especially when you're creative and you are creating a product, you could make so many edits on something. The previous guest I had on, Bridget, she was commenting about her book and how there's always something that she could tweak to make it a little bit better. And that's sort of the whole process of your career is you're constantly learning on how to improve or make things yeah. better, but it's it's never going to be the best. You just got to keep learning new things and continuing to grow it. Yeah, I absolutely resonate with that. I can be quite, um, I think, fastidious at times. Mm-hmm. So I'm very, like, you know, I feel like I'll nitpick at something until it drives yes. me nuts. And then I have to put it away and I have to walk away from it and come back with fresh eyes. What's one piece of constructive feedback you've received that's stuck with you today? Oh, that one I know for sure. So <laughs> I, I went to um, a workshop with uh, to see this young woman named Mary Young, who started mm-hmm. her own lingerie company. Uh, she's based in Toronto as well. I think she started from just hand sewing or uh, I think it was hand sewing her lingerie in her basement. She just ended up growing. Um, and now I believe she's carried in, in several stores. I asked her a question and uh, I think the question was, you know, there's so much competition in, in your industry. Like, how do you kind of navigate around that? Or like, like, how can you keep up with them? And she was saying that you know, when you're in a creative sphere, if you're running a marathon, for example, you don't want to spend the time that you're running the marathon focusing on who's running that marathon with you. Right. Because then you get distracted. That just resonated with me forever, basically. Because if you're trying to stand out and you're trying to do something that's different, how could you if all you did was just focus on your competition? It's hard to just say, I won't care about my competition you'll see competitors that might do similar things as you, or, you know, sometimes you might see like, Oh, that looks like it was inspired by us or something. 
but you have to know at the end of the day that if you have a good idea, that good mm-hmm. idea is in your head. You're always going to be your own engineer and your own creative outlet. Mm-hmm. So if yeah. you just kind of focus on, you know, going back to what Marianne said, if you just kind of focus on mm-hmm. your own creative creativity and your own style, you will eventually put together exactly what you want to manifest. How do you define success or what is your definition of success? To be honest, I feel like I'm still trying to fully figure out mm-hmm. what that means. When I was younger, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate with this, I had a really hard time thinking about, you know, what was what am I going to be for the rest of my life like my parents did? My dad stayed in the same job for like 40 years. I feel like a lot of our parents, you know, and the the older generation were okay with staying in the same career for a really long time. And for me, it gave me anxiety. You know, I kind of like to try a bit of everything. As long as your passion is there for it and you follow that passion and you pursue it, I think your intuition or your gut will always have a way of telling you that you're kind of in, you're kind of in the right direction. I studied fashion. And I was really passionate about it at the time. And I told myself that, you know, I wanted to make it to a point where I would have a merchandising career. And then I got to that point. And then I ended up working at Burberry for some time. And I started moving into PR. And then that was the moment when I started feeling like I surpassed my goal. And I kind of kept doing that for a while. I don't know if people resonate with this, but I kind of felt like my love for that industry was starting to diminish. It was time to move on to something else. It's not like I didn't have challenges in that industry Mm -hmm. or anything that I did, but I felt like what I set out to do was completed. It was time to move on to the next thing. When I started live, there are mornings when I wake up and I'm incredibly grateful. I just naturally feel incredibly grateful for what I have, Mm -hmm. for having this business, for having built this brand and just being where I am. It can definitely resonate with the feeling of moving through your life and feeling like certain parts are completed and it's time to move on. Some of that's a little bit scary because you're like, oh my gosh, should I be, should I be feeling like this? But at the same time, now looking back on it, I'm like, no, that was a phase or a period during my, my life. And it was meant to be for however long it was. Yeah. It's really strange, right? Like, don't you ever get these moments where it's just like, you really like something, you're really into it. Mm-hmm. And then you feel like you've completed it. All of a sudden, it's like your body just tells you you're not into it anymore. So true. And I think yeah. I'm still trying to figure out that feeling to tune into it more. I guess you could probably say it's your gut or your intuition telling you that it's done or or it's completed. I've had it a few times in my life, not too many times, but I'm still trying to understand that moving forward, understand that that feeling is good. Yeah, I, I, I totally understand. I think there's a difference between like giving up on something though mm-hmm. and like, you know, just feeling like you've completed your job and move on. My grandfather was, he's, uh, he was a school principal. So yeah. he was like very, very, well, he was very strict and very disciplined. He kind of taught all of us, like all his grandchildren that, you know, one, if you're going to do something, do it 110%. 
had that stuck in my mind. And two, if you're going to set out to do it and you're going to put your time into it and you know it's what you want to do, make sure you finish it. There are many times like in the sewing lab at school, like I'd cry because, you know, yeah. sewing lab is terrible. You'd be there until like 2 a.m. in the morning. You know, it's not to confuse those times with what I'm saying with like intuition, feeling like you're done. When everything is almost like calm, you know, it's like, I was just about to say that a sense of calmness around you where you're like, I can step away and I, I'm going to be okay with that decision. It comes in and it's kind of like, okay, well, everything is fine. I'm not going through any challenges right now, but I just genuinely don't feel like this fulfills me anymore. For me, when that moment came with live and with my, you know, with my career in fashion, it just, it was like a green light for me. It was just very clear, but it was still really scary. Who do you think within the beauty industry is redefining the game besides live lashes, of course? (laughs) There's so many beauty brands emerging right now. There's just so like the beauty industry has just blown up in the last Mm -hmm. like five years. There's a lot of influencers now that are starting their own beauty brands. There's a lot of celebrities that are starting their own beauty brands. What are your Um, thoughts on on that? (laughs) I think it's cool. Um, you can be some, honest, Linda. <laughs> I know it's so hard to say because there's some really awesome brands out there. I like that in this generation now, there's brands that are really sharing the story and um, what they stand for in their mission. But then there's other there's other brands that, I guess, just to be honest, you know, in terms of the whole sustainability thing, it throws off my morning when I see it. I, <laughs> I think there's so many. It's adding to, I think if you're, if you take the time to be respectful and to be considerate of what you're putting out, going back to what I said earlier, like your packaging and stuff, making sure that you're responsible, you know, as a brand, um, then I'm all for supporting you. But if you're just putting out a shitty product that's, you know, coming overseas from some company or whatever, just remarketing or whatever, not that cool to me. What are you most excited about right now? What are some big projects you're currently working on? So we're actually working on a few different products right now, trying to launch for, you know, 2021. You know, one of the things for us is um, being diverse. Um, So being able to speak to all kinds of uh, wider demographic, not being gender exclusive or age exclusive, And so I'm trying to actually come out with more styles and more collections that can broaden our demographic, maybe for those who are looking for, you know, a style that might suit a fuller makeup look or those who are looking for something that's even more minimal. And my goal in the next like four or five years is to eventually expand outside of lashes and to move into eye cosmetics. Of course, these things, they they take time to formulate. Mm -hmm. You know, I say four to five years, but it could be longer than that. I have one last question for you, and this ties into when you're talking about starting your business. You didn't have a whole lot of business experience as well as moving into beauty. What's your advice for people who don't have experience and want to gain experience? I think we're extremely fortunate to be living in this, you know, this decade where we just are so, there's so many resources accessible to us, you know. So there's tons of seminars, there's tons of um, videos, like tutorials, um, there, you've got social at your fingertips. 
it goes back to what I said earlier, which is like, don't be afraid to start a conversation with someone, even if it's not very clear where that person's going to take you. They could totally know somebody that knows somebody. That's been most beneficial for us, you know, with our business. You know, uh, we've met so many amazing people that, you know, I've, there's been times where I'm just like, wow, I'm so grateful that, you know, I went for lunch with this person and got to know them, supported them, and they supported me. And then it opened up, you know, next thing you know, there's someone who's watching, there's uh, who's following them on social, mm-hmm. comes across and sees our product. And then they contact us and it's just like the perfect collaboration or the perfect fit. Thank you so much for listening to the Her Define podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to like, subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I want your feedback. Do you have any successful entrepreneurial or businesswoman in your life who should be featured on an episode of Her Defined? If so, send me a DM on Instagram at Her Defined Podcast or by email at herdefinedpodcast at gmail.com. Today's episode has been produced and edited by yours truly, Juliana Dallacosta. Be sure to check back next Tuesday for another episode to hear her stories, hear her advice, hear her defined.